Welcome to Mending Nets and Fishing for Saints podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have chosen today to read a few stories out of the Voice of Martyr magazine. And if you would like your own free copy of the Voice of Martyr magazine, you can request one at vom.org. While you're there, go ahead and check their website out. They do a lot of things for the persecuted church. And remember to uh, lift them up in prayer. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you share it with a friend, a family member? Share it with somebody that you really love, and let's spread the gospel of Jesus Christ together. I hope you enjoy this episode. Emerging from the Communist Underground As a teenager living in Nepal in the late 1970s, Shankar was committed to pursuing a life of meaning. He studied Sanskrit, which is considered the sacred language of Hinduism, and meditated on Hindu texts day and night. But over time, he found it all meaningless and was inspired by some communist friends to become an atheist. Shankar then began training in the martial arts. When he failed to achieve his double black belt, however, he decided to look elsewhere for significance. Then, one day a man came to his door and invited Shankar, who was 18 at the time, to join a growing radical communist movement. When he agreed, the man handed him a form to complete. I filled out the form and was taken to China for underground training, Shankar said. To avoid being tracked, Shankar was escorted across the border into China on foot instead of by airplane or bus. The multi-day trek ended deep inside China where Shankar learned that he had been recruited because of his training in martial arts and his father's role as an armor in Nepal's military. I knew how to make weapons, so I was one of the teachers for them, Shankar said. After three months, I was made captain of that group. Shankar trained communist recruits for nearly seven years before returning home to care for his aging parents. Back in Nepal, he served as a lead underground trainer for the communists in Kathmandu. Every night, from midnight to 3 a.m., he taught skills such as how to evade arrest and steal motorcycles. He even trained students to shoot and kill fellow communists who had been arrested so they could not be detained and interrogated. This was the beginning of the underground communist movement of Nepal, he said. I was training them to be guerrillas. One morning, after an all-night training session, Shankar sat down with some friends at a public park. As they talked, three men approached and sat down near them. One of the men had a guitar and another had a bag full of printed leaflets. As the man with the guitar began playing and singing a Christian hymn, the other man walked up to Shankar and handed him a gospel tract. Here, you should read this, he told Shankar. God loves you. Shankar grabbed the tract, tore it up, and threw it in the air. He considered Christianity to be a poison in Nepal. The man gave Shankar another tract, and he tore that one up too. To Shankar's disbelief, the man then tried to hand him a third tract. Then I thought, this guy is really mocking me, Shankar said, so I slapped him three or four times on the cheek. The evangelist immediately gathered with his friends and prayed. Then he returned with a fistful of tracts, stuffed them in Shankar's pocket, and ran away. Shankar took off after him. I was so angry at him, he said. I thought, if I ever catch him, I will beat him badly. 
Shankar lost track of the man when he crossed a busy highway, and when Shankar returned to his friends, one of them joked that he should check his pockets to see if the man planted a bomb in his shirt. Shankar pulled the wad of tracks from his pocket and threw them to the ground. When he returned home that evening, he noticed something in one of his pockets. I thought my pocket was empty, he said, but when I put my hand inside, there was still one gospel tract in there. I wondered if it was a bomb, and it was a spiritual bomb that changed my life. Shankar finally decided to read the tract, and after reading only part of it, he began to feel convicted of the sin in his life. I had caught so many people, and I had killed so many people, he said. I knew that I was the worst sinner in the world. I wanted to find a way to get out from this sin. Around the same time, Shankar's mother, who struggled with mental health problems, attempted to take her own life. Desperate to help her, Shankar read through the tract again. This time, he noticed a reference to Mark 16, verses 6-18, through 18, which addresses faith in Christ and healing. He decided to seek help from believers, if he could find any. Soon, Shankar met two Christians from the Netherlands on the street. When he told them his story and shared his concern for his mother's health, the men offered to visit his mother and pray for her, requesting only a place to sleep. After 20 days of prayer, Shankar's mom improved significantly. When I saw my mom was healed, I was very happy, he said. Even though I was an atheist, I decided to read that gospel tract again. At the back of the gospel tract, there was an address. I wrote the office, and they continued to send more gospel tracts. Though he hadn't placed his faith in Christ yet, Shankar couldn't keep the good news that he had read about and experienced to himself. He took all the tracts he had received and had distributed them to the other villagers. If you are sick, he told them, read this and you will be healed. My mom is living testimony. She was sick and now she is healed. Don't throw this gospel away. After Shankar distributed the tracts, some villagers began gathering for prayer. One day, the Dutch missionaries met with them and helped lead eight people to Christ. That day in 1986, he also placed his faith in Christ, and he and the other Christians soon formed a church. Some of Shankar's communist friends tried to persuade him to return to their group, but he refused. No, I will never, he told them. There is no chance I will rejoin the party, but you can come to church. If I join the party, I will get death, but if you come to church you will get life. Shankar eventually became pastor of the church he had helped start, and he has since planted 28 more churches, ranging in size from about 30 to 130 worshipers. His passion for sharing the gospel has at times angered others. While many villagers listen to his preaching with an open heart, Shankar and members of his team have been beaten multiple times. And more recently, Shankar and other pastors have been restricted in their work by new government guidelines. In 2017, Nepal's parliament passed an amendment criminalizing conversion to Christianity. It is clearly mentioned in the law that if one person converts another person to his religion, he will be fined 50,000 rupees, or about $400, or two months' income, and spend five years in prison, Shankar said. This persecution is causing us some problems in sharing the gospel. In 2018, the Prime Minister and other government officials further tightened the restrictions by publicly declaring that anyone who changes his or her religion will be expelled from the country. Since the constitutional amendment was adopted, 
Shankar has seen at least one pastor detained because of his ministry work. The pastor, who is now out of jail, has paid the equivalent of $5,000 in fines and legal fees. I encourage my church members that it doesn't matter what the Constitution stands for, Shankar said. Sometimes the Constitution goes against us because we are not working for this world, we are working for heaven. So don't be scared off. If God wants us to be in prison for sharing the gospel, let it be. But do not be scared of persecution. We have to do what we are called to do. Shankar asked people to pray that God will provide for his church's needs, unite the congregation, and continue to draw more Nepalese to faith in Christ. I have given my life for God's ministry until I die, he said. I cannot imagine being apart from ministry. May God help me continue to win new souls. Christians in Nepal continue to gather for worship and share their faith despite increasing government restrictions against Christianity. Sledgehammers, bulldozers, and imprisonments can't stop the gospel. In Cuba, authorities often arrive without warning. On March 10, 2020, a group of men with sledgehammers appeared at Pastor David's church at 9 a.m. They wanted to demolish the church and everything inside, he said, and they started smashing it with their 25-pound sledgehammers. They came in at that hour when the church was closed, hoping that no one would try to stop them from destroying everything. When the pastor and other church leaders learned what was happening, they rushed to the site and managed to stop the wrecking crew before the roof could collapse. David was filled with emotion as he gazed in disbelief at the destroyed church building. You can imagine the sadness that we all had, he explained, after many years of sacrifice to be able to build a humble church and how they had unfairly demolished it. Decades ago, Cuba's revolutionary leader, Fidel Castro, established an atheistic communist government and vowed to drive religion from the island. But Cuban church leaders say the opposite has happened. It has been more than 60 years since Fidel said that, a church leader said. But Christians are in Cuba, in many schools, in secret prison circles, and in every municipality in Cuba. From east to west, north to south, Cuba is filled with the gospel. As knowledge of the gospel increases in Cuba, however, so does government scrutiny. After 17 years of worshiping together, Pastor Faustino's church of 100 members faced the same opposition in 2021 that David's church had experienced the previous year. The government sent a bulldozer to completely level the church building. Though the building was destroyed, church members continued to meet every day under a temporary roof at the church site hoping to persuade the government to change its decision. Security officers confronted the Christians daily, pressuring them to leave, but the church members remained faithful despite running low on food and subsisting mainly on rice husks. Other Cuban pastors have faced even greater pressures. Two have been imprisoned for more than a year, and one has reportedly been tortured and treated like a counter-revolutionary criminal. Still, the Communist Party's efforts to crush churches in Cuba with sledgehammers, bulldozers, and imprisonments continue to fail. All that remains of Pastor David's church building is the roof, yet his congregation continues to gather for worship and fellowship. 
They meet on porches and in kitchens, in fields and under trees, and they baptize new believers in cleaned-out pigsties. Despite everything, David said, the congregation continues to grow more and more. Another pastor, a widow who struggles to provide for her two teenage children, boldly defies authorities who regularly pressure her to stop her church activities. I demand they show what law I have broken, she said. Since the authorities have never cited a specific law, she continues her ministry work. Cuban Christians, like this faithful pastor, ask for prayer that they will continue to stand firm in their faith. One Cuban pastor was told by a senior UN official that he could speak to the Pope, the President of the United States, and Cuba's leaders on behalf of Cuban Christians. What would you like me to tell them to do for the church in Cuba, the UN official asked. The pastor replied that they do not want anything from the Pope, the President, or Cuba's leader. We are not asking for persecution to be removed, he told the official. We just want people to pray that we remain faithful. Pastors in Cuba are committed to preaching the gospel and caring for Christ's followers despite communist oppression. Thank you for listening to Mending Nets and Fishing for Saints podcast. I truly do appreciate your time and listening. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. You know, I hope it's give you encouragement to pray for our brothers and sisters in the world, wherever they may be and whatever they may be facing, whether they're persecuted or whether they're on the on the front lines working for Jesus Christ, I ask that you pray for them. Lift them up in prayer daily that God may bless them and give them strength and their faith wouldn't fail them, but they would continue to grow stronger and stronger in Jesus Christ. I thank you for listening and until next time, God bless you.